what are some key ways to reach out into a community in an evangelistic sense? Um, I, th I think the, probably the, b the best way that I always advise people and, and what we try and work out is just get involved in the community as, as, as people, as, as, as citizens, as community members. So establish, establish a presence uh, that, where you're building credibility as a good neighbor, as a good shopper, um, as a good coffee drinker, as a good tipper. Uh, you know, when you go into local restaurants, make sure you tip well. Uh, so you, you, you seem to be generous. So you're becoming a blessing to the community. Um, sign up for any kind of community as a, as a core team, not just you as an individual, but all of you sign up for uh, any community projects that, that, that are going on. So that, so that when people know that you're planning a church there, that they implicitly, they're saying that this is a good thing because you're, you're, you're bringing a blessing to, to the community. And I think that that's got to be the context and the bedrock from which you work. Um, and from that, you know, you look at good evangelistic strategies or opportunities in terms of uh, putting on meetings, um, running courses, um, addressing kind of issues, uh, because you're finding out what the real life of the community is, what the real issues are, and then how you bring the gospel to bear upon those. Um, so it might be, you know, in one community that there's um, a real issue about parenting. You know, you have a lot of kids that uh, maybe are a bit feral, um, and so and kid or parents that are really struggling to be parents. So maybe a great op opportunity is to say, okay, why don't we just have a, a series of meetings when we help train people to be to be parents? Um, we've been <coughs> promising to put together a course for a long time, uh, which is what I call a five-six week course. Uh, this is just an illustration. I'm not offering it to you. I'm just illustrating it. Um, and five weeks we just do basic parenting principles and then the sixth week which we say look we tell people what it's going to be uh, they can come back if they want but we'll explain what is undergirding this so the five weeks we're trying to equip everybody to be better parents without it being explicitly Christian but the six weeks we show them how actually it's only um, in Christ through the gospel that we can really be the parents that, 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 that we should be because that's the one that addresses all the issues in our heart, uh, which uh, which kick in uh, in the lives of, of our kids. So, so that's just an illustration, as I say, of, of how you might serve a community. But the bedrock is establishing yourself as a blessing to the community, uh, so that people are disposed uh, to, to, towards you. So, I guess you would see that as a way of building some credibility and sort of coming off the back of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. That, that's the key thing. It's uh, see, to Christians. Uh, I suspect it's the same in this country as it, as it is in ours. Christianity doesn't have a particularly good press. You know, Christians are, are, are hypocrites. So, you know, they're self-righteous moralists. Uh, you know, they're, they're pains in, in, in the neck, uh, and it just doesn't connect. Christians tend not to connect with the vast majority of the population. So we we, we have a lot of kind of undoing to to to, to, to do. I think before we we kind of go in all guns blazing, uh, and it doesn't mean to say that we're mealy mouthed. It doesn't mean to say that we're we're scared of preaching Christ crucified. We've got to do that. We're looking for opportunity to do that. We've got to be upfront why we're in an area. There's nothing manipulative about it. We're here to plan a church. We want to tell people about Jesus. We think that Jesus is the is the only hope of the world, and and people have turned from him. We explain 
our presence and our activity in those terms right from the start. But we want to be a blessing to people. So people say, there's something about it. We want to be the neighbours that everybody would want to have as neighbours. Or, or we want to be uh, the community forum member that everybody would want to have as a community forum member. So, so the question, if, if I'm right, is... Um, how, how do you get uh, groups, groups of people, disparate groups of people who share busy lives to kind of consistent, consistently and uh, meaningfully uh, share lives together on, and be uh, on mission together? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, 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 always, it's always a tension, isn't it? And the fact that the group's disparate, uh, they're not necessarily people that you'd kind of choose to hang out with. Um, makes it a bit of a pain at times in my experience um, but it's a good thing uh, community has been described as being um, it's a group um, it's a gr community exists when you're hanging out with people that you would least want to hang out with um, until that point you see we're just hanging out with people that we like uh, which means that it's just kind of a, a friendship group uh, a gospel community uh, that is a gospel that has been a community that's been brought together by the gospel for the gospel isn't simply a friendship uh, group so so that disparate nature uh, in the, the, the nature of the people isn't is, is a good thing um, and I think that um, you know you've, you've got to keep revisiting the gospel on that reminding one another of who you are in Christ and and why you're there that you are a group of people that have been brought together by the gospel for the gospel it's it's simple. It's you know it's a bit of a soundbite, but it's it's an important way of encapsulating it, establishing your identity of the group. Um, and and one of the great things about doing mission through small groups that I find is uh, well no a couple of the great things about it is one is that there's no one size fits all. So you um, the, the the shape of the gospel community is determined entirely by the shape of the people that are that, that are in it the stage of life, the, the various pressures that they feel. Uh, so it flexes and adapts, uh, morphs, um, and, and becomes responsive, and that's, that's a great thing uh, to be able to do. Um, and then it's, it's a question of intentionality. So, so our kind of saying is that uh, it's about ordinary people living ordinary lives, but with gospel intentionality. Um, and, and it is that gospel intentionality that is critical to it. Remind yourselves that's, as I said at the beginning, that's what you're there for. Um, and, and just keep rehearsing that truth. And, and when you find yourselves not doing it, just go back to the gospel um, and then start doing it. And when you find yourself drifting off, bring yourself back to the gospel again. Uh, because it kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, that's that's the nature of life generally, isn't it? That's the nature of any ministry generally. That's the nature of this approach to, to ministry. So I just want to I just want to encourage you to keep on keep on keeping on keep the gospel central. Uh, don't look to turn it into a bit of a therapy group. That's always a, a temptation with small groups. It's not about you. It's a it's about everybody else. Uh, so um, get the get the gospel out and share your lives together. Mistakes in gospel communities. I, I don't think we've made many mistakes in gospel communities, for the simple reason that I made all my mistakes in when when we used to call them household churches. Okay. I made plenty of mistakes then. Um, so our gospel communities are basically the fruit of of, of, of that. Um, 
And the reason why I make that distinction is because the gospel communities that we have are, it doesn't mean to say that all our gospel communities are kind of stellar and first class at all. Uh, in all of them there's kind of varying degrees of, of, of work, the working or not. Um, but in terms of, I think that intentionality, you know, that, that's, that's the key thing. You've got to be intentional about who you are and what you're there for. Uh, and you've got to keep reminding, if, if there's one mistake that we made in the early days of Crowded House is that we didn't remind ourselves enough of what it was about. We just assumed it. Um, you know, we said it, we talked a lot about it at the beginning, but then it, we, we assume it. And then if you assume it for long enough, then it just disappears altogether. Uh, and then you're wondering what you're there about. Um, I think that, that, that another thing that we've learned is you, you you've got to have... Two, two types of mission. So you've got to have a, a focus. It's all about mission, but you've got to be. You have got to have a proactive mission and a reactive mission. So your proactive mission is really helpful to say, okay, we're in this together, and this is we're going to share this ministry together. So the one that I'm part of is students, for example. Uh, so uh, both nationals and international students. So so that's what that's what we do. But then we then we're open to reactive mission. That is, when opportunities come that we're not expecting, needs arise that we can meet, and things develop that we can get involved with, we still want to be able to take that because that's been responsive to kind of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, some people, some some community groups get so focused on their on their proactive mission that actually that it just kind of it's like a brick wall that they can't get out of, or or, or it's tram lines that they're stuck in, and I and I and I think that that. That is, you're going to lose. You're just going to lose energy at some point in that. Mm. This proactive mission, I think, is God's way in which it kind of keeps us. This is His thing. You know, we're just part of it, and we trust Him to, to, to do it. Um, and and every time you talk, meet together, and talk together as leaders, just because leaders create a culture, that's what leaders do. If you're not creating a culture, then you're not a leader. If you are a leader, you'll create a culture, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, you'll still create a culture. So make sure that what you're doing is creating a culture that is about uh, investing in one another for the sake of the gospel, uh, rather than just investing in one another because I want to be with a group of people who, who, where I'm, I'm happy and content. Um, so even if you're just hanging out watching a DVD, just bring in some some comment you know and it might just be all christians there and that's fine but just just as you've watched it say god oh, wouldn't that be a great film to watch with a few of our our, our mates at work who uh, you know aren't christians because it would and and just keep that forefront always keep it right at the front because your default is is to be is going to be to become a group that is introspective <coughs> and self-serving because that's what our hearts are and it's only the gospel that reorientates them so there's a few tips. Sure. And is the, the proactive mission, is that helpful in terms of keeping people focused on what's going on? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very helpful. And it means that people, as a, a good way, you know, be, because my instinct is to think everything is about me. You know, the, the human ego is that the universe, I am the centre point around which everything revolves in it. That's, that's who we're, we all are. Um, having a proactive mission that I may not, I mean, me having a mission among students, you know, at my age, why on earth do I want to hang out with 18-year-olds that have still got acne? It's just, I, there's better things I want to do with my time. But it's not about me, you know, 
So instead of saying, I want to hang out with some 40, 50-year-old guys with intelligent conversation, I can say, I want to hang out with some 18-year-olds who you know, are still wet behind the ears for the sake of the gospel. And that means I've got to adapt. And of course, I can't become 18 and you know, trendy and all of that. And, and, and I can't get into all the lingo. But I can listen to the music. I can try and understand some of the things. And uh, I can watch the films that they're watching. And I can still play football, so that helps me. So, you know, it's, it just means that I'm not doing mission that is fulfilling my thing. I'm doing mission for the sake of the gospel and loving God and loving others. Um, I, I meet with our, our, our leaders every week okay. when I'm in Sheffield. Uh, so six o'clock on a Monday morning, uh, we have breakfast together. Um, and we sit down and we talk. Uh, they tell me about how things are going. Uh, we pray together. Uh, when I'm not there, they still meet um, and um, I just use that as a bit of training keeping them on track helping them to when they, when they have issues problems helping them to think through the issues in gospel ways as opposed to just uh, some sort of management strategy to deal with the issue because there's a profound difference between the two yeah. you know what, what is this crisis how is this crisis an opportunity for the gospel that's what you've got to be asking yourself all the time I, I'm not going to give a definitive word about house church. I can only give a definitive word about what we 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 call them household churches to differentiate from like the house church movement because we've never seen ourselves as being part of the house church movement or movements. Um, not least because not not only this because there are other issues, but not least because we've never been restorationists. You know, we're not trying to get back to the purity of the New Testament. It's always been a gospel initiative. But the thing about a household church is that um, you're, you're basically trying to start a self-contained, independent church with its own leadership and its own mission um, and its own responsibilities. Um, and and that's, that's fine. You know, I'm, but by any defin of the definition of church biblically, a church can meet, meet in a home. Um, and get on and do it there and you've got elders, you teach the Bible and so on and we did that you know, for, for, for a, a few years but the thing about our gospel communities in terms of our shape of them is that they're, we're, they're very much integrated with one another um, so we have our gospel communities that covenant together to have a weekly gathering so we've got seven gospel communities that have a weekly gathering um, and the weekly gathering is, the, is an expression of their ministry. It's a way of resourcing and supporting it. But the, the gospel communities um, are not a subset of the gathering. The gathering is the aggregate of the gospel communities. So it's important to see it that way around. Um, and it means that we can have guys leading gospel communities who are not as mature as they'd have to be if they were leading a household church. Uh, because we can have... Um, we've got two gospel communities led by four guys, two in each, who are young guys. They're not yet elders. They're not going to be elders yet. Uh, we think they will be one day, but they're just a bit too young, a bit too green. They've got to get a bit more life under their belt. They're like just under 25. Um, they're good guys. We want them to lead. We want them to train them in ministry. But we've got an elder over them, me in this case. Uh, and so my job is to supervise them, mentor them, 
um, and just kind of work them through through issues with a view to them becoming elders. So you can take more risks with a gospel community, and we can you know you can be more responsive. So you can just send a group of people into a particular area because you know that they're connected in with the the, the, the network, integrated into it as well. What's what's the purpose of the gospel community? The gospel community is where we do where we do. Uh, we get asked the question, um, in terms of our gathering, in terms of our gospel community, people say, which is church? And my answer is yes. Okay, They're both a church. By, as you understand it biblically, they're both church. Um, so a gospel community uh, is where they disciple one another, uh, they do mission together, um, they, 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 they break bread together, they take the word that's taught at our gathering and really get it in into people's lives into their lives uh, and they get out on mission um, so that's that's what the purpose it's it's the cutting edge of our ministry it's the cutting edge of our evangelism uh, the aim the principal aim of them is to is to reach 80% of the population that have rejected traditional church and who are, who are almost never likely to go into a building into a meeting wherever it's held that's kind of formal Christian so they want to reach those people, and they want to do. We want to do it corporately. So our, our our primary method of evangelism is corporate evangelism, not just sending out individuals into the workplace, as it were, just to be witnesses for Jesus, to bring them to meetings. We want them to get out, live their life corporately, to display the gospel at work in our lives together. Yeah. And so the the, the gatherings where they all come together. Yeah. Um, do they have an evangelistic edge, or are they? No, the the gathering does in that it's 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 another way in which we reach the twenty percent for whom traditional church still has some meaning and significance. So in Sheffield, where, where I am, it's a city of uh, five hundred odd thousand. Um, so that's about a hundred thousand people uh, for whom traditional church still has some significance. Mm. So that's quite a big mission field. So we want our gathering to be missional as well. Everything we do is missional. Um, but we also want to do it to resource the gospel communities. Uh, so that's where our principal teaching goes, <coughs> happens, which then the gospel communities take and work out wherever they are. Yep. One last question. Um, so I can chew up, because I said we were going to ask questions all day. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so you're saying you're in the area of Sheffield, your big gathering. Um, when would you start another big gathering? Like location-wise, <coughs> numbers-wise, what would push you to do that? Um, I think there are a number of factors. One is size, uh, that our building won't hold. So we're too full now. Mm-hmm. So we've got to start another gathering. We're just forced into that. I, because I don't think, because we do church, our gospel community is a church, our gathering can grow to 500. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, well, that's why this model, any kind of church can do it. A mega church can do it. Uh, you can get 10,000 together on a Sunday, if you want, as long as this is where the stuff is going on. You're doing church at street level. Um, so it could grow, but our, we're constrained by our building. But you're also looking for opportunities. So we've got a part of the city, the, the east side, from if you imagine a clock phase from 11 o'clock to 5 o'clock, uh, a part of the city that is largely unreached. So all the, all the gospel churches in Sheffield aren't there. Um, it's where there's social deprivation, marginalization, and so on. We want to reach that. So starting a new gathering is going to give impetus to us reaching into, into that area yeah. and then starting new gospel communities in that area. Yeah. 
So, so the two go hand in hand. Sometimes gathering first, sometimes yeah. gospel community first. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Martin. you had a question? Yeah. Um, so I'm at First Year College. Uh, spent was saved at university. <coughs> spent the last six years as a management consultant. Uh, at the moment, um, my role is uh, at church in Cornerstone is uh, youth pastor, and I've just been recently uh, the elders and the ministers invited me to consider uh, planting uh, with them. Um, so the question I've got is, um, should I spend the time working out uh, the vision that uh, and the type of church that God would want to plant, or do I uh, start gathering and with the uh, initial call group work through the, the vision together and mm. perhaps they can then feel more ownership uh, with that mm. process? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, each, each, I think each one has got its its merits uh, and its um, and its downsides really so you, you, you just gotta if you're gonna do the latter that is just get a group of people and work out what kind of church you're going to plant and what your strategy is going to be. That's that's a great way to do it because you are going to have people involved um, and a full sense of buy-in. you just got to have a pretty high level of trust in the people that you're doing it with. Uh, because if you get a kind of a just... You put out a call. As, I don't know anything about your church or the situation, Mikey, but if you, you just put out a call, people to join you, where you don't have that relationship. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they're from. You don't know what their agenda is. You don't know how they understand the gospel even. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you, you could be opening yourself up to a bit of grief with that. But if you know people and you've got a genuine sense that you've got, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 guys that you're really connected with, um, and you can say, hey, let's do this together. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a great way to do it. And so your core team really is all on board. Yeah. Um, I, what, what I did, I did a bit of a combination of that, in that um, I, when I started Crowded House, um, I did a Crowded House beta version where I kind of made all the glitches came up, I made lots of mistakes. Um, and then I started a Crowded House 1.0. Okay. Uh, and what I did with that one is I recruited a small team of people but then before we really just started by getting to know one another and, and we, we, we kind of hammered out a load of values over a period of time um, so that every, it, it wasn't me starting a church and them me speaking to them or leading them it was us starting a church together um, but but I was prepared, as it were, to pull the plug on that at any time, if it was going to going in a direction that I didn't want it, didn't think it should go in. Yeah. Um, so I was giving it leadership, but these were good. Tim Chester was one of them that you know, you know, Britain with him. Um, but we developed a, a shared vision together, yeah. um, and uh, that was invaluable. I th- I think you you do want to be careful that you don't. <coughs> You don't kind of gain. You don't find yourself gaining momentum that is ultimately going to be frustrated because you're not ready to to, to go for it. Yeah. So perhaps one of the things you could think about doing. There's so many suggestions. You could think about doing it kind of a, a gradual lead-in time, where you're 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 basically becoming church over a period of time, just in a natural way. Okay. Uh, because you because sometimes you don't have the kind of freedom you, that you've got. 
the leisure you've got because sometimes you're going into a new area you've got to move and all of that but you've got a particular situation you're in the church that wants you to plant from it and so on so you can be a bit flexible about that and you can just kind of gradually do it you can make decisions on the hoof uh, as, as it were so I, I wouldn't be too precious I wouldn't be too fixed yeah um, about it. I would I would have a kind of an openness to it starting with monthly prayer meetings great way to start keep keep praying keep prayer at the very center of what you do um, but also to be careful that um, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen I just say you need to be alert to the <coughs> fact that that you really are keeping everybody on on track that that it isn't your vision isn't going to become too diffuse yeah. that actually different agendas are emerging because yeah. you might find that even with a group of people that you are close to mm-hmm. um, so just be clear about you know that, that. and and if a, if a consensus emerges about what you're doing that's great but then just just keep exercising responsibility as I said before leaders always set a culture always and so if you're a leader that's what you'll do um, if you're not setting the culture and these <coughs> next two years show you that you're not well then you're not a leader so that's it if other people are doing it, they're the leaders, whatever their title, however they're recognised. So, so, so make sure you know you are setting the culture. Um, and in terms of things be put in place, just be, I think, have a clear idea of the the area that you're going to be planting in. Get to know it well. Uh, do a bit of research on it, so you know you you, you know it at, at kind of different levels. Um, Get involved in it, as I said to the you know the other guy. Get in, get involved in in it at all in all sorts of ways, um, so that it you're you're there, yeah. and and the church kind of emerges, grows out of, of that, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of imposed into it. Yeah, because you've got a great opportunity, you know, in your situation. So grasp it. So it sounds like just focus on relationships and the pragmatics will kind of yeah. unfold. Yeah. yeah. You have to you have to think about it. And you have to be intentional, mm. you know, and you have to know what you're doing, but you don't need to get kind of too hung up on upon the details. Yeah. At this stage, because okay. they getting hung up on the details can be a big distraction because they can actually convince you that you're doing something when actually you're doing nothing. Yeah. Because you're not actually there. You're not actually doing it. Mm. You've just got a you've just got a framework, and you know you've built this elaborate kind of edifice, as it were. Uh, conceptually and doesn't look impressive but actually it's just it's a bit of do, do Lego here yeah. yeah it's just a Lego building I I do think that proximity is an important issue um, and and you, there's a sense in which you, you we all we all work with less than the ideal and we work with what we've got um, but it's hard work, and we've got to then try to work towards what is actually going to be more achievable. So, so even in Sheffield, you know, um, you we we encourage people to move so that they're living in a reasonable distance from each other. Distance is a relative term. So, in some cities, people think nothing of driving 30 minutes. Um, and if they think nothing of driving 30 minutes, well, then you can do gospel community 30 minutes drive from each other. Um, and that's certainly so with cities in the state. Um, and in Sheffield, you know, a 15-minute walk is like is equivalent to a 15-minute drive out in the country. 
so that's fine you, you do gospel community there so you need to find out what the kind of rhythm and vibe of your city is and work work in a way that is contextual to that um, but but knowing that just live as close as you can to, to, to each other because that does make it easier <clears throat> not only in terms of your relationships but in terms of connecting with people who live around there too who hang around there and another a thing that's happening in I'd be interested to know if it's happening here but a thing that is happening in, in the UK is that cities are becoming increasingly self-consciously and deliberately kind of um, a collection of villages um, and uh, so local areas are taking on more of a kind of a self-identity uh, in that local shops are opening there's a big big push to shop locally uh, so people might you know go down to the big Tesco supermarket but actually they still want to do so we in our area we've had a, a fishmonger that started up recently we've got a, 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 a um, fruit and veg shop that started up recently uh, fish and chips you know the whole the whole thing so it's become a very vibrant little village uh, where you walk around and you know people you know you walk around and you say okay I've got <coughs> I've got I, I just want to go down to the bank to pay something in which should take five minutes but actually I know it's going to take me 20 minutes because I'm going to be meeting people and that's great um, and then that has a knock-on effect that when you go into the city center that you're you're actually find it's meeting people you know in area there and so it just it makes for connectivity now that's different in a city of four million um, but but if you if, if that kind of moved towards some kind of so I, I the only place I really know is Newtown you know, around here so and that to me seems to have a very distinct kind of feel and vibe about it um, and where, so I'd say to people if you're gonna have a gospel community there for example try and get people moving in and so one of the ways that we do that is to encourage people not to necessarily think about buying but to be open <coughs> to the idea of renting because sometimes you can't afford to buy um, but the idea of, of, of buying is a bit of a cultural myth at any rate. That's the only way to have property. I don't know what it's like here, but in the UK it is. Um, and so you're just making, asking people to make gospel choices. Uh, if, if this is important, being the people of God together on mission, if that really is important, then, then you've got to pay the price for that. Um, my second question is, um, what are your thoughts on Transfer growth, um, my, my, my first comment on it would be, forget it. Okay, so that's my baseline. It's, it's, it's daft. Uh, it's, it's an illusion. It creates an illusion. It creates an illusion that we're doing good gospel work, for one thing. Um, and, you know, you say, oh, I began a, you know, we did our church plan. We had uh, 30 people. Two years later, there's 120. And actually, the 90 people that have come have come from other churches. Well, whoopee. Um, so, so what you want to do is say, okay, it's a bad thing, don't let's do it. Once you've established that as a culture, then you can, then you can utilize it. Um, so we got to the point where, I'll just give you a quick story. Um, I, I was doing some lecturing on a course, Cornhill, uh, on biblical theology. And um, two of the students uh, were getting married. Uh, she went to one church, he went to another. Neither of them wanted to go to each other's church when they got married, uh, but they wanted to go to the same church. Uh, so they came, I, and, and they wanted me to marry them. Uh, so we were doing some marriage prep, and at the, the end of it they said, 
Steve, we still haven't been able to settle on a church that we should go to, so can you advise which one? And so we talked about a couple of options. And I said, but just tell me, I'm intrigued, you know, given the fact that I've been le lecturing you, I've known you for a while, you've asked me to marry you and so on, um, why didn't, why haven't you asked about coming to Crowded House? And they just looked at each other and laughed and said, well, everybody knows that Crowded House doesn't welcome Christians. <laughs> and and I, thought, I was kind of taken back by it, but I thought, wow, that's great. You know, that, that really is great, because we've achieved something there. Now... But what we do when we have Christians joining us, if they're from out of town, that's fine. Actually, I do want them now because our culture is strong enough that we can get them church planting rather than just pew-sitting, sermon fodder. Um, and I know I'm being pejorative there, but I've got to stir something up. And then um, if they're Christians from other parts of Sheffield, other churches, then we'll say our first response is you really should go back we don't really want you here but if they persist we make sure they leave well so we'll talk to the leadership of that church and we'll only let them come to us if they're on board with what we're about and the reason they're coming to us is because of what we're about and they want to plant churches they want to be in the east side of the city and all of that but don't just let it happen you know be have gatekeepers so we have a couple of elders who are very good gatekeepers as soon as somebody comes through the door of our gathering they're on to them and they'll say, you know, find out if they're going to another church, and then they'll say, well, don't come back next week. Then if they do, you've got a good resource. Okay. Uh, my name's Hans. I uh, well, a bunch of us planted um, Resolve, which is the church in Newtown, actually, when you we, we have a formal and an informal approach, and both of them are as, as, as equally as important, I think. So our formal approach is, um, we, we've got two kind of training programs that we put together. One is called Porterbrook, which is a two-year, uh, 24-module, nine units per module training course. covers things like biblical theology, systematic theology, culture, evangelism, church planting, character, you name it. Uh, so we insist that everybody goes through that so all of our gospel communities leaders have to go through that um, and for guys who, who, who might be able to be particularly for guys who can be vocational um, then that is take some time off their kind of paid work uh, to do gospel ministry in, in, in the church we, we have something which is a degree level program a degree isn't awarded but it's a three-year program uh, that we put them through. We want everybody to be as a theologically equipped as they can be for gospel ministry. We want our elders to be able to teach truth and to refute error. A lot of leaders are good at teaching truth, fewer are good at refuting error because they don't actually spot error until it's a big error. Um, so, so you want to equip, equip people theologically so that, so that they can see error when it's like just really, really like the truth. Uh, almost indistinguishable, but they recognize that this emphasis is on a trajectory that is going to take them away from the gospel. And if it doesn't take them away from the gospel um, in an observable, damageable way, it's going to take the people who listen to them away from the gospel. And it's certainly going to take the next generation away from the gospel. So you want to equip people so that they can kind of spot. And it's just a question of emphasis. So it's not an error at this point, it's just emphasis. So, so we really do want to equip people to be sound theologically competent 
Um, and it it's, depends on who they are, depends on their circumstances, what their gifting is in terms of how we do that. But, but as important as important as that, and this is one reason why we don't send people away to theological college, um, as important as that is the informal training, where we invest in their lives, uh, we hang out together, we help them to think gospel, think theologically, uh, in the moments of crisis, so as I said before, you know, we're mentoring them, <coughs> we're going through issues that they're actually facing in ministry, helping them not to merely solve problems, but to think gospel. Um, we're exposing them to our lives, where they're seeing us being, they're seeing me as to be being a good a, a father, grandfather, husband, son, um, friend. They're seeing my failures. They're seeing how I handle failures. Uh, and, and they're up close and personal, and that's a vital part of uh, it's a vital part of training um, leaders. What you you're looking for is is really good character where people understand the gospel, and and that's what I think the issue is in one Timothy, for example, and Titus, particularly one Timothy. Why character is so important? Because character is about understanding the gospel and living in a way that is consistent with the gospel. That's what makes you. That's what enables you to manage your own household well. Um, that's what enables you to have a good reputation with outsiders. It's the fact that there is this coherence, as I said earlier on, between your walk and your talk. Um, so, so your life is a gospel-informed, gospel-fueled life, um, and and it's from that that you then teach. Because you know how the gospel applies. Because the, 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 what Calvin's whole point about scripture is that it is, it is God's rule, perfect rule for a good and a happy life. Uh, and I think that's a lovely understanding of the, of the Bible. So, so your people, you're, you're, you're training them, you're teaching them to live well you know, in the light of the word of God. And, and you're best equipped at doing that if you know how the word of God, the gospel, applies to your life and enables you to live well as a husband, as a father, and as a neighbor, and as an employer, employee, etc. Um, so, so if you've got people that, are, that, that, that have got that kind of sense of the gospel and its, and, and its relevance, and you've got people who are, have got a sense of the gospel, and, and are going to be alert to the fact, almost an instinctive alertness to the fact that this isn't, this just doesn't feel right. So what you're equipping them to do is to is to heighten that that that, that instinct, if you like, to, to 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 make it more intelligent. So it's not just an instinct. So they say this doesn't feel right, and then they can work out why it isn't right. <coughs> and as as I say, it it's about stopping it here as opposed to here. Um, and it's it's just giving them all the you know the theological apparatus that you can. One of the the, the, the best things that I think we found is church history, you know, in in a strange way. In that, so that's why it's an important part of Porterbrook and, and whatever is is to see that you know all, all the kind of errors that abound today they've been here before, and they they might wear different clothes, but actually they've been here before. Um, and there's there's Error. I think there's very few variations on error. There's just lots. It just has an extensive wardrobe. Um, so it, you you really can just equip people to understand the gospel, and 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 then finally, if you understand what this means positively, then you've got to enable people to articulate what it what it doesn't mean. This is it, which means this isn't it. And just invest in people.
and walk it through with them. You know, if you if you if you've got that informal training and, and sharing of your life, that that when you come across something, walk people through your own thinking process with it. You know, and say, this doesn't feel right to me. What do you think? It, what, what do you think's going on? So don't just kind of process it internally or in your study, and then come out and give this masterful presentation. Just work it through with them. I find it encouraging that the New Testament. Um, had New Testament church had a, a, a high proportion of slaves in it. I mean, we just know that. Um, and the great thing about slaves is that they were time poor. You know, they in that from the dawn till dusk, they belonged to their their, their, their master. Uh, whenever their master and the family were awake, they were there at every bidden call. So the only time that they would have had. You, know, you can read first urban Christians and all that to, to unpack this would be when their the masters were asleep um, and yet Paul clearly when he writes his his letters had an expectation of the level of relationship between the church, the, the believers there uh, that he didn't see gospel community to be a, a, a massive problem um, and that's why that's why the key word for me that I've learned over the years is, is intentionality. You've just got to be intentional about it. Make it a priority. And, and, and that doesn't mean to say that we add another burden on it. It just simply means that we involve that gospel community in what I'm going to be doing anyway. Um, so um, if I'm going to be eating you know, when I get home from work, um, well, a couple of nights a week. Why don't I make sure that some of my gospel I'm meeting with some of my gospel community? Uh, if I've got a long commute in to to, to work uh, in the morning, um, why don't we see if there's a couple of guys from the gospel community who can join me on that? Um, if I'm working in 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 the city, why don't you know once a week some of the gospel community come and I I make sure that I have an hour for lunch and we just hang out together. While, while we're doing that um, in terms of my Saturdays if we're, we're going to spend it as a family you know, in, in go, going out somewhere well then why don't just a few of us join, jo join together and go out and I've still got my family time um, if I want to take my wife out or go out with my husband for a, for a meal then it's a gospel community that's going to babysit and instead of just one of them we get you know, two, two or three of them to do it and why don't I have a night out with my wife babysitting for somebody else so you know I get some I mean as long as their kids are going to be in bed um, but I'm, I get some time with my wife but I'm, I'm serving we're, we're living out community with these people um, do breakfast with people you know there's, there's a whole range run people around you know, people run you around if, uh, if you're in another direction well then instead of getting the train take a car load and just get that time together so it's it really is just about us being creative and because we're always creative with our lives no matter how kind of time poor or, or, or money poor we are uh, in order to enable us to do what we want to do because every single one of us does what we want to do all the time you know people people it's true people complain and say oh you know I hate this job well you might hate the job but you're still doing what you want to do so, so you've just got to say, what do you want to do? Well, I want to be, you know, a, 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 I'm a child of God. I want to be on mission with God's people. This is what I, well, then you'll do things. Yeah. Your life will be shaped by that. 
I do I do have a day off most weeks when when I'm here with KCC I clearly don't <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but m most weeks I try it it's Saturday for me um, and what I mean by day off unlike a lot of my my, my friends who are ministers of more traditional churches is that um, I just mean I don't go into my study you know I don't I'm, I make sure that my talks are prepared I don't do admin that kind of stuff um, but what I, what, what I, let, let me tell you what an ideal Saturday for me is, and I can d tell you this because a few weeks ago, I had a perfect Saturday. It, it was just, it was superb, and, and it, everybody involved said at the end of it, we sat around and said, this has just been the best Saturday we've had, best day we've had for, for a long time. Um, we, uh, I stayed in bed till about eight o'clock, which was nice, uh, and uh, got up, quick shower went down to uh, somebody's house where we had breakfast, uh, my gospel community, uh, and we prayed. Now, to a lot of my minister friends, they think that's kind of sacrilege. It's funny, but we've had most pushback on the way that we do church by people getting offended by how I spend my day off. Quite genuinely, it is, and I don't understand why fully, but we, we, we had breakfast together, we prayed. Um, that by this time, it was about 10, 10, 15. Um, and then, um, and I'm describing an actual day here, okay, because this is like all the elements are what are in my day off. Um, and, and so the, the benefit of that first bit was that I'm praying with God's people. That's incredibly kind of energizing. I love it because our prayers are gospel-centered. I'm spending time with people that I love. That's, that's a good thing too. Um, and uh, we then went down to a bike shop because I ride push bike, road bike. Uh, and we looked around that for a, about an hour or so, bought somebody a bike, that was a lovely thing to do, um, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, then I went and had lunch with my wife, uh, we just went off somewhere, and uh, then in the afternoon went out for a bike ride, a few of us from our gospel community, a couple of non-Christians, um, and then people said, uh, what are we doing tonight? Uh, well, my wife said, oh, why don't you just come back to, to, to ours and we'll have, we'll have a meal together. Uh, we'll buy fish and chips because my son owns a fish and chip shop, so uh, it's a way of getting business for him. Um, so that's what we did, and then we um, we watched a DVD, and then we lit a fire outside. It was a there was sun there. Uh, we lit a fire outside, and we sat around uh, just uh, chatting, drinking, and about half ten, people drifted drifted off, and I and I watched much of the day, um, and and that was it. And that, that was my day off. And it was, it was just, I felt incredibly relaxed at the end, um, energised. Um, we'd had good gospel conversation. We'd done things with non-Christians. I'd enjoyed life, enjoyed family. Yeah. I think the key, the key to Bible study is understanding what the Bible is about. Uh, and what the Bible is about, it's, it's God's word because it's God's word to us about Christ. Um, and so it's all about the gospel. Genesis 1, Revelation 22, it's the gospel story. So however you read the Bible, you've got to read it as gospel. Um, and, so, and, and that means that appreciating that the different genres tell that story in their own distinctive way. You've got to study the Bible sensitive to that, so the way that you read narrative is not the way you read epistle, is not the way you read a, a, a apocalyptic literature. It's just different. Um, and, and you've got to respect and honour that, that texture but it's still the gospel. So your question is, how is this gospel? You know, always it's got to be. So 
So if you're, you're you're doing a study with 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 people different ages, different understanding, non-Christians there, it's a great question to ask. What is the gospel? You know, and one of the reasons I I think I'm just relieved to see that very few churches now run gospel services is because a better understanding that whenever we teach the Bible, we've got to be teaching the gospel. So so what better question to ask? There's no better question to ask for Christians because. Because our behaviour is shaped by our, the, the gospel. The great, the great imperatives of, of, of the Bible always flow out the great indicatives of the Bible. This is what God has done. This is who I am. Uh, therefore, this is how I live. You know, all the shoulds and the oughts of the of, of the Christian ethic flow out of the flow out from the therefore. Um, and uh, so, so I've got to teach the Bible in that way. Um, and. And that, that that's going to be that's going to be incredibly helpful for for Christians. It's going to help them on their discipleship. They're going to understand the gospel more, which means that they're going to live more. They're going to ask questions then that flow from that. So, what does this mean for me on Wednesday morning when I've got a meeting with uh, my line manager uh, who's just doesn't like me, you know? And and you're getting those kind of questions. And and a, a non-Christian, and in your case, in inverted commas, kind of listening in on that. Um, then that that that's just a great way to help them see why it is good news, and and to see God's people really grappling with God's word, because this is an important thing. You know, we're we're, we're trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus. Um, then then that that in and of itself is evangelistic. Um, so we've we've always encouraged people to bring non-Christians along whenever we're opening God's word. And we don't dumb it down at all, uh, but we just make we do make sure that we're teaching it as gospel. We're reading it as gospel. So, um, so for instance, if you're doing um, Hebrews one and two, normally if I was leading <coughs> a, a um, discussion on that, you know, we'd be facing that, that string of Old Testament quotations through the Old Testament. You know, it's kind of that requires a lot of um, mental power to kind of follow through that you, un- you need to understand the context in which all those Old Testament quotes were, were you know with a non-Christian there I'm quite unlikely to do that and um well you, like so I'm just trying to make this more specific no that's a, that's a great great I mean it's good that you're doing that I mean if you're doing Hebrews 1 and 2 in one study you can't possibly do it justice, at any rate. So it's still going to be pretty superficial, even for the for, for the Christians that are there. Um, so, so the only thing that I would do, you know, if I was, if we'd agreed that okay, it's a big book, we don't want to spend lots and lots of weeks in it, so we're we're really going to, just going to spend one week in two chapters. Then, then I'm going to home in upon a particular aspect. I'm going to give an overview of the whole of, of, of the book. I'm going to show how these two chapters begin to kind of set up the the, the issues. Um, I'm going to say that you know the, the, these are the problems that it's addressing. So why does he give all these quotations? You know what, what what's what's he saying? Well, he's already kind of set the agenda in the first few verses. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spoken through the prophets, but in various ways. But now he's spoken to us through his son. So actually, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? You know, and and so that's why you get them. So you don't get bogged down in the detail of all those Old Testament quotations because you know why he's citing them. And then you pick one of them 
and you say, okay, let, let's see how this really works. So let's go back to let's go back to Psalm whatever and and show how he's really doing it. Um, and and a non-Christian can follow that through at an intellectual level, um, but you're, you're just not getting bogged down. You're not losing sight of, of the wood for the trees. Um, you've just got to be disciplined in it and show how it's good news. So you chose Hebrews one and two. I think you know that's a great place to start if you want to tell people about Jesus. Because what's the writer of the Hebrews doing but telling people about Jesus? And I'm I'm generally not being simplistic or dismissive. I genuinely say this is what you need to do. It's interesting. You um, by the sounds of it, you take a fairly um, you you lay out the context yourself rather than trying to get people to work out what the context. Is you, you're like here's the context. Let me explain this chapter to you. What, what the big idea is, and then so you bring people on that journey, and then you may kind of focus in on one thing. I think that's probably the, the problem with my approach, which I think is probably a representative in Sydney, is that we try and get the group to do all of that themselves without help, and we're just kind of facilitators of that. But um, trying to work out, I guess, then my job is not to facilitate that, but to facilitate drilling in on one thing we fully enriched our understanding of the gospel rather than the yeah, yeah, I think that you do, you do want to bring people in and you're asking questions, not where you're asking people to kind of delve into the inner recesses of your mind and find out what the answer is that you want, but you're asking questions that you know what the answer is. You know, what I say in terms of the whole dialogical preaching that, that we talk about, uh, is that it actually takes more preparation than a monologue from a pulpit. Nobody ever interrupts me when I'm preaching in a monologue. Um, I don't know if that's because I'm particularly scary, but when I'm doing dialogical preaching, teaching, lots of people interrupt me. Uh, so I've got to do a lot of preparation, and I've got to know what I'm trying to do, because you're the teacher, so you've got to teach God's Word. Um, and you can't, you know, I, I, I often say as well, expositional preaching is, is an exercise in frustration, because every time I'm preaching on a passage, I'm frustrated because I can't preach all the passage. You know, and so you, you're opening up Hebrews 1 and 2. There is absolutely no way in 30, 45 minutes, even an hour, where you're going to do justice to that passage. So you've got to know what it is you're trying to get out. And, and so be very clear about that. And, and don't be embarrassed or apologetic for the fact that this is the direction you want to be taking because that's your job as a teacher. You know, so, and you're giving people the overall thing. And then finally, that... A lot of our understanding, that one of the problems we have, I think, in terms of um, our approach to Bible study is that we, we read a, a letter, for example, we, we deduce then, and it's, it is deductive, we, do, we deduce then what the context it was written into, and then, we, then that context that we've deduced and constructed then becomes a hermeneutical key for understanding the passage. So it's a bit of circular reasoning, and, and we've, we, we've actually not got to do that in, in the sense that yeah we can deduce the context to some degree but it's got to be provisional so then we go back into the text which kind of refines our understanding of the context and how, how that passage shape speaks into it but it's that kind of provisionality now you're going to be able to do that a lot more because you've got the time to study it so you're facilitating to use your term 
people in terms of seeing how you've done your working. You're showing your working, you're getting them in, into that, which is them equipping them to do it for themselves and to do it with other people. <coughs> Uh, but, but it's not a, okay, somehow we're going to manage this. So just be clear about what you want to do. And make it about Jesus. Because that's going to bless the Christians, it's going to bless the non-Christians. Church planting is, um, is a theological task. Okay? It's, so, so it's not just a pragmatic thing you're trying to do, get a group of people together, preach the gospel. Uh, you've got, so you're going to have theologically able people. But the phrase that I used earlier on, which is an important one, you want to train people to the limits of their ability. Uh, so some people are going to be more gifted than others, but you still want to make sure that people are able to. So a minimum requirement, it seems to me, for gospel community leaders, because they are, if they're not yet elders, they will be one day, by God's grace, is that they have the ability to teach truth and refute error. So... In a sense, the Bible set that bar, and we can't lower it. You know, they've got to be able to teach truth. They've got to be able to refute error, and and that's that, that that really is critical. So you've got to find ways to do that. That's why we do the formal and informal training. That's why we're very intentional about it. And what we've been able to 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 do, I think, is to produce good leaders. Um, not as many as we'd want to, but we've. But we've got to accept those limitations and say, okay, Lord, uh, we, that, that, that's your providence. But we, we want to be intentional about it. Um, and, and we don't want to plant a gospel community. Because, because they are de facto churches, we don't want to plant them basically with, with, with guys that are going off half-cocked. Yeah. You know, because that's the way that we're, we're, almost, we're, we're building up trouble for ourselves. So that means every gospel community leader you have has been through that three-year or two-year portable. No, they're, they're going. They're, they've either been through or they're going they're through. Yes, they've got to do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's different to here, <coughs> where it's just your most mature bunch of guys you've got. There, you Bible study leaders. So the bar's much lower. But I can see why yeah. what you've done is produce the group has. It's because they're churches, you know. Yeah. I mean, they they get on. The thing, the gospel communities don't need to get permission to do things yeah. from, from from anyone. You know, they, they get it. They've got the responsibility to get on and do it, do do whatever. So you've got to have a sense of the people that we're doing this are, are able people. Now some of them aren't that yet. That's why they're mentored closely and super. So the two guys who lead my gospel community at the moment, you know, they they're not the most gifted Bible teachers in the world by by any sense. But it's okay because I'm I'm there with them. I mean, I'm not the most gifted Bible teacher in the world, but I'm okay at it. I'm better than them at it. Um, so I can kind of mentor them. I can kind of keep a check on it, um, and we can we can really push them and equip them. But by God's grace, in three years' time, they're going to be elders and they'll be very able to lead a gospel community. <coughs>